says, rather than rationalizing, rather than talking my way out of it, rather than coming up with reasons and explanations behind my psychological couch, I just need to repent. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. I don't know if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., but if you have, surely you've seen many of the sites that are available there. One of the things about going to Washington, D.C., if you can beat the traffic, and if you can get a cheap hotel, everything else is free. It's the first two that are the hard parts. Uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing over the years is visiting Arlington National Cemetery. It was formerly owned by Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general. During the Civil War, property was confiscated after the North defeated the South and was turned into federal ground. And there are thousands of people who are buried there, but perhaps the most significant section is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And every half hour, changing of the guard occurs to recognize those who are fallen for whom we have no name, those who are fallen for whom we have no identity. And part of the tribute for Memorial Day is that we would recognize not simply those that we know, but those that we do not know. And what a tragedy it would be when we do not participate as citizens through voting and through civic engagement that we would not honor the sacrifices of those who have gone before us who have allowed us to be free today and in an even greater sense on an eternal scale how much would it be when we consider the king of kings and the lord of lords who laid down his life on our behalf who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then to think of all of the saints, men and women throughout the ages who have died so that we might have a copy of the Word of God. From our Egyptian brothers and sisters who were killed this past week, martyred for their faith, all the way back through a line of apostles. And those who participated in councils and church fathers, because this Word of God didn't just come simply from Abraham straight, through, straight to us. It came through a line. And how thankful we are for those who have gone before. And what a tragedy it would be that we should come to church week after week and not live in honor of the sacrifice of the very one who made us in the first place. And of those who are willing to give of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And the danger for us is that we could think it would be impossible for any of us to fall. Because the moment we think that it can't happen to us is the moment in which it most certainly can happen to us. King David knew what this was about. Out of all the people in the Bible, few are described as having one after God's own heart. The one who refused to be king until God's timing. The one who was anointed but waited and the one who always managed to reflect praise back to the father so when they said David you are the shepherd of Israel he said the Lord is my shepherd he said David you are a light to Israel he said the Lord is my light David you have brought salvation to our land he said the Lord is my salvation David knew what it meant to give praise to God and if you read the Psalms he is on full blast with his emotions he tells the Lord when he's up. He tells him when he's down. He tells him when he's in between. But he always keeps in mind that it's not so much how he feels that matters, it's what he believes. And so he continues to obey the Lord. Until one day, the Scripture tells us, when he was about 40 years old, 
king reigning on top of Jerusalem at the height of his power and prestige that as he went upstairs on his rooftop, which was common for a front porch as you and I would have it in our day, he looked on a woman who was bathing and rather than turning away, his gaze turned into a stare. And as he walked down those steps before he had even known it, he had committed murder in his heart. And he desired her and he sought after her and he brought her unto himself. And then he decided that he had to cover this up. So he had Uriah, who was one of the great warriors of David, out fighting the battle where David should have been. He had him recalled and said to him, Come, enjoy this dinner with me. Go home to your wife. So he got Uriah drunk, hoping that in getting him drunk and sending him back home, they would not realize that David had gotten Uriah's wife Bathsheba pregnant, thinking that maybe it would be by Uriah if they were together on that night. Woke up the next morning, and at the king's castle, there at the doorstep stood Uriah. He'd slept there all night long. David said, why didn't you go home like I commanded you to? And Uriah said, I could not go home to my wife to comfort when there were men out in the battle dying, my friends. So David sent him out. He sent along with him, though, his death sentence and a message to the general saying, when they come and attack, pull back. Israel had the numbers. Israel could have plowed over the enemy, but he said, pull back, and you make sure that Uriah is out on the front on his own. Make sure that he dies. And sure enough, the news came through, and David put on a great sign of mourning, sorrow over losing one of the great 30 men that God had given him. And many thought David was a wise and a gracious king, because who wouldn't want to take the widow of a, of a fallen Soldier, a fallen hero, how gracious of it was David to welcome Bathsheba to his palace, many thought. And yet the Bible gives one of the most haunting verses in all of Scripture at the end of Samuel when it says, the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, rest assured, you can fool me and everyone else in this room, but you cannot fool God. He knows everything, and one day he says, the secret things of the heart will one day be revealed. And as David reveled in his covert cover-up that he thought he had gotten away with, God sent the prophet Nathan to him and told him a story. He said, King, I have a story for you. There was a man who had nothing and a man who had everything, but the man who had everything took from the man who had nothing. What do you think we should do? And David stood up and said, this man should die. Nathan looked him in the eye and said, Thou art the man. I wasn't in Israel that day, and the Scripture doesn't record what happens in the immediate seconds following, but I all but guarantee you, you could have heard a pin drop. Because the man who would not betray his country or his friends had just betrayed his Lord. And David has a choice here. He can have the prophet Nathan killed just as he had the warrior Uriah killed. He can choose to stand in his own power and then stand in judgment one day before the Almighty God. Or he can realize that the messenger who has come to him has been sent by Jehovah. And he can repent. And David's response is recorded for us in Psalm 51. Look at what he says. Immediately after Nathan has accused him, David has felt the conviction of the Lord. Beginning of Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, 
and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. On the one hand, the scripture reminds us that blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Blessed is the woman who fears the Lord. But if that is true, then the opposite is also true. Cursed is the man who fails to fear the Lord. Cursed is the woman who does not fear the Lord. And David provides us with a template. If there is sin in your life, unconfessed, unrepented of before the Lord, this is how we should react. This is what we should do. He demonstrates to us, first of all, that we should confess our sins. And he appeals to the Lord on the basis of who he is. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your great mercy. Because our sin is ultimately not simply against ourselves. It's not against another person. The Bible tells us that our sin is first and foremost against the Lord God. And you and I must discern between remorse and repentance, between worldly regret and godly sorrow. There's a lot of people on death row today who are sorry that they got caught. They got remorse. But there's not nearly as many who are repentant. And I think that's the case for us many times in the church of God. We're sorry for what's gone on. We're sorry that our reputation has been damaged or that our relationships have been made irreconcilable. But are we repentant? Have we gotten down on our knees before God and just said, Lord, this is on me? And David, look what he does. He doesn't offer excuses. He doesn't say, I was tired. He doesn't say, Lord, she was pretty. He doesn't say, Uriah was getting on my nerves. He just says, I have sinned against the Lord. And he takes responsibility for his actions. Oh, you and I live in a blame-free society, do we not? You know, it used to be when you went and got in trouble at school, you got in trouble at home too. Now if you get in trouble at school, the parent goes and defends the child rather than defending the teacher. How many of us are so quick to blame others, and yet, ironically, we are never the ones in the wrong? Isn't it great how it works out like that, how everybody else is wrong and we're the only ones that are right? 
three of the most freeing words in all of God's universe are the words, I was wrong. And if you will learn those, you will have more joy in your heart than you ever could have imagined because it's been hidden up until now. And so a diagnostic question for us is, how have we broken God's law? How have we sinned against the Lord? Let me ask these of you, have you spoken ill will towards others? Had you gossiped about people rather than addressing them directly? Have you walked in pride? Do you wake up each day saying, God, I can make it on my own? Have you stolen from God? Either in tithes and offerings or of the talents that he's given you, and you're not using them for his glory. Have you neglected your duties and your responsibilities before the Lord? Have you loved your spouse and your family well? Do you live recklessly with your relationships? And as we consider Memorial Day weekend, do you, on the one hand, identify Jesus as a Republican, or on the other hand, identify him as a Democrat? Because we can revel in our positions. We can say we're pro-life, and I hope all of us are. But he's not just speaking to the unborn here. He's also speaking to child refugees, to those who are in poverty. He's speaking to racism, those who are created in the image of God. He's speaking to care for the elderly. If you're on the opposite end of the spectrum and you think everything should be taken care of and we should all be tolerant for one another, understand that Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. He says, if you are not with me, you are against me. And when you come to the foot of the cross, there's equal ground, but there's no middle ground. You are either inside of Christ or you are outside of Christ. And the question that we must ask ourselves each and every day is, will you be defined by your culture or will you be defined by your Savior? Some of us this morning are breaking the laws and therefore the, the heart of God have we forgotten what He's done on our behalf? Have we forgotten that He's given us so much more than we could have ever deserved? Have we forgotten that His Son bled out on the cross for the sin that you make so trivial and so light? What constantly amazes me in my own heart and in the life of other people is that we can be the folks who honor God with our lips when our heart is far from Him. How easy it is to praise God with our voice and not praise Him with our life. And this is something that is true that shouldn't have to be said, but it, it needs to be said. You need to know this. You can't walk with God and hold hands with the devil at the same time. It doesn't work like that. Brothers and sisters, are you living in sexual sin today? Because the Bible says that any type of sexual relationship outside of God's covenant of marriage is against His law. And when you engage in those activities, you are stepping outside of God's provision and outside of His protection to a place of danger. And if there is some sin that you are, are clinging to today, you are clinging to death. Death is not your friend. You must cling to Christ and you say regarding whatever your sin is, well, everybody else thinks it's okay. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. It matters what God thinks. And He's told you what He thinks in His Word. And you are not going to have to answer to anybody else on the Day of Judgment, but you will have to answer to God. The Scripture says He is as one who has fire in His eyes. And if you think that Jesus will pat you on the back and excuse your sin apart from repentance and faith, you are going to be grievously disappointed. 
So he says we must confess our sin because if we don't, it will ultimately destroy us. And can I say this to us as a church, to the body of Christ, we will not experience the fullness of God's blessing while there is sin in our midst. Not going to happen. And if you are clinging to a sin which does so easily beset you, stop harming yourself, stop harming others, stop harming the body of Christ, and cling to Him. Here's a question to consider. How well do you take instruction or rebuke from others? You don't have the power that David did. Anybody that comes before the king's presence, if he doesn't like what they have to say, he can just cast them out. Forget firing them. He can take their life. But he listens to Nathan because he knows that Nathan is not coming simply for him. He is coming as a messenger of the Lord. What if the person that you think is judging you is actually the messenger of God sent to you to help you? Are you defensive when someone confronts or questions you? David is receptive to Nathan's counsel and rebuke. He confesses his sin before the Lord. And here's something that he knows. He knows that if he confesses his sin, what 1 John tells us, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so he reminds himself of what Isaiah will later say, Come now, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He knows that God will forgive him. He knows that Jehovah can heal him. And he says in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And then in verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness because his ears have been stopped up. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. One of the things that a shepherd will do to a sheep if it disobeys is the shepherd will break its bone in order to teach it not to wander astray. And God will break you in teaching you not to wander astray. He is not a weak God. He is a strong God. He is not a God who knows nothing. He is one who knows everything. And the all-powerful God that keeps your heart alive will keep you in His fold. He will do what is necessary. And so he says we must confess our sins. And then he tells us something else, that we must repent of our sin. And I want you to see what David in Psalm 51 consistently does. He consistently asks God to do a work that only the Lord can do. Notice the verbiage that's used throughout this passage. He says, wash me, cleanse me, purge me, hide me, blot me, create in me, renew me, cast me not away, take me not away, restore me, uphold me, deliver me, open me, do good, build up. How often do we try to do the work of the Lord in the power of the flesh when our God has told us it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. And when he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, he understands that our hearts are deceitful. They are desperately wicked. They are always seeking after that which is wrong. And God must create in us a clean heart. And if you are not living in the power and in the authority of God's word through the filling of his spirit, you will not have a clean heart. You will not have a renewed spirit within you. It is so easy to come into church with the wrong kind of attitude, is it not? The temperature's not right. Music isn't your taste or something the preacher said offended you. You're done. When you are here first and foremost to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, 
How can I know that I have a right spirit within me? Well, a right spirit is evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. There ought to be evidence in my life of love and joy and faith and meekness and gentleness and temperance. In such there is no law. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Then he says in verse 11, look, there's some Trinitarian theology in the Old Testament. He says, take not your Holy Spirit away from me. Cast me not away from your presence. Can I say something to you? Living for God is so much better than living from God. I wish I could stamp that on the heart of everybody who claims the name of Christ. Because you think that living away from God gives you freedom, but all it is are the, is the devil's chains. He cares not for your soul. He cares not for you. And the one who does care for you has set these things up so that he might protect you. So that you might know the fullness of his joy. He said that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He says rather than rationalizing, rather than talking my way out of it, rather than coming up with reasons and explanations behind my psychological couch, I just need to repent. Be done with it. He says to confess our sin, to repent of our sin. And then he says we must also be people who expose our sin. Look at verse 13. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Now, one of the great truths in the history of God's church is the ability to warn others of the consequences of moral lapses and bad choices. That's what David says in the psalm. He's seeking to show others the way back to God. He's like, look, I've been here. You don't want to be there. Be someone for the Lord. And you and I have this opportunity, rather than, than covering up our sin, rather than hoping no one else knows about it, to use it so that others might not fall into the same type of sins. Pastor E.V. Hill used to do this in California, in the community of Watts, violent, broken down community for many years. And he had a rule in his church that there were 60 committees in the church, but none of the committees were really operational committees. They were all formed on the basis of what your tendency towards sin was. And so if you had a tendency towards alcohol, there was that committee. If you had a tendency towards drugs, if there was that committee. And the idea was that if God had redeemed you out of that, you could get together with like-minded people and help others who had gone through some similar experiences and help them come to Christ. Well, there was also a, a pimp committee and a prostitute committee because of where they were. They would actually have people outside the church who were trying to, the pimps were trying to sell these ladies out to prostitution, and the ladies on the prostitute committee would go and witness to, to these people and bring them to faith in Christ, and those on the pimp committee would go and witness, witness to the pimps. And so they, they had all of these things happening where they were in darkness, and God was exposing them to light, and we've... Uh, We've considered this, and uh, after the service, if you'd like to sign up for it, there's a pimp and a prostitute committee sign-up sheet on the welcome seat, so you're, 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 welcome, you're welcome to that. Using these things for the glory of God, saying, look, whatever's happened in my life, there may be a ton of bad, there may be a ton of wrong, but God can redeem anything, can he not? What you meant for evil, God can mean for good. And then he helps us in verse 17, that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. We appreciate tithes and offerings. We believe that's commanded of the Lord. But God says, I want your heart way more than I want your offering. 
I want a broken spirit more than I want your bank account numbers. That's what God will not despise. He's not after your heart or your accomplishments or your accolades, but a heart that seeks after him. This is where humility comes in. We begin to see God for how great he is and how small we are. And then we remember that those whom God greatly honors and serves are those whom he first greatly humbles. What it means to serve God with a whole heart. David confesses these sins, loses the child conceived with Bathsheba, washes his face, and begins to praise the name of the Lord. He goes and he worships. And here's what we know for those who are in Christ Jesus, that sin has consequences, some greater than others, that there will be earthly responses to evil acts. But we also know something greater, do we not? That there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And if you will repent of your sin and confess your sin and turn that over to Jesus, then he who has separated your sins as far as the east from the west will remember them against you no more. Brothers, sisters, what is the sin you are holding on to today? What is the one that so easily besets you? Confess it to God, repent of it before him, and watch him work in your life and in this church, because the one who paid so high a price is worth honoring. He is worth serving. He is the one to whom we pay tribute. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.